Welcome to the Sharp Angles Prop and DFS show for week three of the NFL playoffs. I am your host, Todd Burrows, and I am joined by both Ryan McChrystal, who's going to give us props by position. Since with only two games, we thought it was best to go by position and not by game. And Adam Wildy, our showdown expert, will also join us. And he and I will take you through early DFS thoughts. But first, we still have two more weeks to make money in betting in DFS. And the props are coming fast and furious. Let us help you do that with our postseason package, which gives you Warren Sharp's betting recommendations and Rich Rebar's outstanding game reviews. Use the promo code. 75 off for 75% off our weekly postseason plan. Go to sharpfootball.com and sign up now. Also, if you could please subscribe and give the thumbs up on our YouTube channel or give us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. It is becoming a regular occurrence that the three of us get together. And I am excited about this week, and I am excited about this show. As I mentioned, um, we are going to go position by position. It made a lot more sense. Ryan suggested it, and I think he was absolutely right. And normally we start with the quarterback position, but I'm going to start us off with the running back position due to the fact that Christian McCaffrey is the most important decision on the slate. Last week when he was due for 45% ownership and Adam rightly thought he would be about 10% higher, this week he's showing 60 to 65% early ownership and 70 or more percent in uh, smaller field stuff. So I will ask Adam about that. But first, let's get Ryan's prop at the running back position, which actually happens to be about one Christian McCaffrey. Ryan, what do you got for us? Yeah, going right into it with a Kristen McCaffrey prop, and maybe I'll disappoint those who are excited about uh, rostering him this week. Because I'm actually going to be on the under for his receiving yards. This number is available at 37.5, which is a pretty high number. He's topped this only twice in his last eight games, and both of those overs were aided by a single reception of 30 or more yards. And obviously that's a rare occurrence. You're never going to bet on a running back having an explosive play to that degree. Another factor in this game, just the 49ers are favored by a touchdown. So game flow is probably going to reduce his past game workload. And yet this prop is seven yards higher than it has been at any point in his last six games. Now, the reason for that, of course, is the questionable status of Debo Samuel. As of now, it sounds like he's probably going to play, but it's apparent that he's not healthy. So even if he goes out there, you're getting a lesser version of Debo Samuel. So, you know, this applies to this this prop a little bit it'll, it'll come up in some other ones that i'll mention later i'm sort of going into this weekend assuming that whether he takes the field or not we're sort of expecting their, them to have to adjust their offense to cover some of his workload now you might think that would lead me to take the over on christian mccaffrey and i think that's why this number has risen because the expectation is well if mccaffrey's out or if debo's out mccaffrey can take step into some of that role and to a degree, that's true. I'll show some numbers to back that up, but I'm pretty skeptical in this particular game because of the Lions' coverage scheme. They, as we talked about last week, they're one of the teams that plays single high coverage at a pretty high rate. They're 59% on the year. 
and teams use single high coverage at even higher rates against San Francisco because they're such a run-heavy team that you want to stack the box. So you're more likely to be in single high coverage if you're getting extra defenders into the box. In fact, San Francisco has faced single high coverage at the second highest rate, 65%. So a team like the Lions that already plays at a high rate, I think we can bank on them being right around that 60% mark as they have been, and it could go up to 75%, 80%. And looking at McCaffrey's numbers, I don't think that this really benefits him at all. Against single high coverage on the year as in its entirety, he's seen a 15% target share that's fourth on the team. And when he's on the field, when Debo is not on the field against single high coverage, McCaffrey's target share is 13%. Actually drops a little bit. I think that's a negligible difference. So dealing with a slightly smaller sample size. But point being, it doesn't change how they use him in single coverage. He's not a focal point of the offense in any way against that. Now against two high coverage, 21% target share on the year, second highest on the team. Debo leads the team. And so when Debo comes off the field, McCaffrey jumps up to the team lead at 28%. So there are certainly matchups where you would pivot to McCaffrey and think that he's going to see a huge volume. But given the fact that the Lions are a team that already sees a lot, already uses a lot of single high coverage, teams tend to up their usage of single high coverage against the 49ers. I think we're going to see it at such a high rate that we shouldn't think that McCaffrey's usage in the passing game is any different than any other week with Debo, with or without Debo. So given the fact that this line has gone up significantly with Debo's expected absence or limited play, I think it's a great opportunity to bet the under because we should probably be leaning under even if it were back down at 30 yards where it has been most of recent weeks. Yeah, and then you also got to consider, and this will also go into what uh, Adam and I talk about in a minute, I mean, he literally was sitting there with a stim gun on his calf during the game last week. Um, so, yeah, I I, I, um, I, I think that uh, the under makes sense. Um, Adam, last week you said that you would either be 100% or 0% on CMC. I ended up at about 40. So I went for slightly under. And so I think... It was something Adam Levitan said on his pod that really made me not want to go with the heavy fade, and that was that it's much harder to fade someone at running back. There's less volatility. There's less options. Um, But how did you end up last week? Did you end up at zero or 100 or somewhere in between? So quick fun fact first, he had 12 targets last week, seven receptions and hit the under. <laughs> so that was a pretty interesting note. But I ended up um, only playing showdown last week. I changed my mind last minute. So I played all four showdown games, but I was 100% on Christian McCaffrey, um, heavy in the captain, uh, and it, it worked out pretty well. Awesome. Awesome. That is uh, good to hear for your pocketbook. Um <laughs> So with uh with you know with that in mind and him now up to 60 65 70% what are your thoughts on Christian McCaffrey this week? I mean the value when you look at you know every site will give you a projection and then the value versus his salary. I mean his value is so much higher than anyone else on the slate. You can see why his ownership is going to be that high. But it's very, very difficult, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, to go over on a guy, you know, 80, 90 percent, even 100 percent. You're not getting yeah. that much leverage. What's your thoughts? 
So you were right for, to make this the first topic. I mean, this is the first decision that you're going to have to make on the slate. Let's say he's got like a 75% chance of being in the optimal lineup and his ownership's going to be around 70-ish percent. I personally just make that a two-game slate, and I'll tell you why. You have so few options at running back. Let's just say that um, Justice Hill scores the same as Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey's not scoring a zero under any circumstance. So let's say a bad, unless injury, of course. So let's say a bad game for Christian McCaffrey. He scores 14. Justice Hill also scores 14. Well, you also have 70% of the lineups going against you that, yes, you gained leverage against some of the field, but there's also going to be better lineups than yours that you have to compete against as well since 70% of the field, um, almost enough to, to where you couldn't even cash without having him, is how much Christian McCaffrey is going to be rostered, whether he scores well or not. Um, so it's very, very difficult to find that margin, like you said, like Adam Levitan said, at running back, that margin has to be it would have to be massive to really make a difference if you went Justice Hill and Jameer Gibbs instead of Christian McCaffrey because there's not enough wide receivers to counteract that. I mean, the only wide receiver that really has a, a good shot of outscoring Christian McCaffrey is Amon Ross St. Brown. Other than that, we don't have a ton of options at wide receiver either to um, to make it so that you can pay for two. Right, to make it so you can pay for two running backs and – or pay down for two running backs and up for three wide receivers. Well, you don't have three wide receivers to pay up for. So it just makes it almost impossible. I think it's not fun and it's not sexy to just lock Christian McCaffrey and make it an eight-man slate, but it's going to leave you a lot more time to make other decisions. And there's so many other places that we'll be able to leverage if you just lock in Christian McCaffrey. And you're you're really not going to have to worry about him one way or the other um, unless he gets injured, of course. Yeah, and so... I'll throw an idea out at you that uh, isn't on the show sheet. I just thought of it. So what if you went 90% Christian McCaffrey and 10% Elijah? Yes. Yeah. Especially in the, in the Millie maker. I've seen, uh, I saw a Millie maker where Marcus Mariota won somebody a million dollars when Derek Carr got a concussion. It is a very, very common practice for people playing the Millie maker to play, uh, backups. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, whatever percentage you think of uh, you play Christian McCaffrey, um, you know, that's one way that you can differentiate by every lineup that doesn't have him. You really leveraging, you know, if he got hurt. Um, yes, Mark. Another way you could do it and, it, you know, kind of giving a spoiler at the wide receiver is to just lock in Brandon Ayuk at 100% and say, all right, you know, and have Christian, and I don't think you have the ability on a two-game slate for a zero on Christian McCaffrey like you slate, right? I think, you know, maybe you go down to 20, 30 percent, uh, but we'll get into this more as we get into the other positions. Let's talk a little bit more about running back. Um Gus Edwards is the lowest owned at 20% of the starters. Uh, Justice Hill is ahead of him. Are there any Hail Mary types that you would even consider decent ownership on? Uh, CEH, Dalvin Cook, and uh, as I mentioned, Elijah Mitchell. No, what you really have to do on two game slates is I must just pick somebody that you don't like and fade them and then just roll with the other three options. Um, if you lock Christian McCaffrey, then that makes it easier. But um, it's really difficult like 
to just pick a bunch of running backs. I'd rather pick just a couple running backs or just a few running backs. And that's actually how you get leverage. It's almost flipped from what it would be on a on a larger slate. So what I would probably do is just play none of the Ravens backs and get my um, narrow player pool that way. And then I would also probably do a just one for the um, Detroit running backs. But you could do the old two running back here and play a running back in the flex and play both Detroit backs because running back's pretty slim on this. Slate. Yeah, I, and I don't like that as much against San Francisco. Um, it would imply that they were pretty far ahead. Well, and, the total's 51, though. I mean, they have to score a lot of points. I, I know the spread seven, okay. but it, that's a pretty high total. I mean, I agree with you, but David Montgomery's getting his points by falling in the end zone. Um so if he does do that, I'm not saying that he definitely will, but David Montgomery's, you know, 12 to 13 points usually come from falling into the end zone. So then your Jameer Gibb points are coming from, hey, we need to be competitive with the 49ers and a 51 point over under. Yep. All right, Ryan, any thoughts on uh, what we've talked about at the running back position? No, not too much. I mean, I, I would just add that with the Ravens running backs, you always have, you know, the Chiefs defense, like we've talked about in the past, is certainly vulnerable to big plays. Maybe, maybe that makes you lean towards Justice Hill. He's a little bit more explosive. So if he breaks off a 40-yard touchdown run or something like that, that could give you a big uh, boost there potentially. But, of course, with Ravens running backs, as always, you're dealing with, you know, split carries and trying to figure out how that gets divvied up, and that's its own challenge. Yeah, Craig Reynolds scored last week, but it was his only carry of the game. Um, it's really hard to count on him because if he, it, you know, if, you know, I like backups who are one injury away from a, a big role, right? Mm -hmm. Craig Reynolds is two injuries away from a big role. Um, so you, any thoughts on, uh, Craig Reynolds? Uh, well, there had, there had to be meaning behind that touchdown. I was thinking about that at the time, but, um, that's not going to happen again. I mean, he, he didn't score. I don't think he scored all season. Um, which is why it was very strange that he took a Montgomery carry. I mean, there had to have been something going on. Maybe Montgomery's shoe came off. I don't really know, but that's all intents and purposes. That's a David Montgomery touchdown. It's going to be a David Montgomery touchdown this week. If the same scenario arises. Um, so that's kind of what I'm getting at is even though it was Craig Reynolds last week, that's going to be a David Montgomery touchdown 99% of the time. All right, let's move over to the quarterback position. Ryan, you have a prop for us with Lamar Jackson. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm going to be on the over on his passing yards, which might be slightly counterintuitive given that they're favorites in this game. I should mention the line's at 207 yards right now. There's been some fluctuation both up and down with that line. Um, but I, I would play it at almost anywhere up to 215 or so, even if it keeps rising. I, I expect this to be a close game. And if it's a close game, even if the Ravens are leading throughout, I think they're going to have to throw the ball at a decent rate. And we've seen that in close games, Lamar Jackson consistently clears this number. He's been held under 220 yards nine times this year. So obviously, you know, it's happened where he's had these low output passing games. But eight of those nine times he was under 220, it was a double digit Ravens victory. Now that's on the table. It, it, I don't think it would shock people, but they're favored by four points. I think it's going to be a relatively close game. I don't think that they're capable of just completely blowing the Chiefs out of this game to limit Lamar Jackson's passing. So this is, this is why it's one of my favorite props because in those close games, in losses or wins by single digits, there have been six of those games 
for the Ravens, and Lamar Jackson has cleared 220 yards in five of, of those six games. So that's why I say it's at 207 now. It's I've seen it up in the to the two teens. You could keep betting it up even if it goes over because we've got a pretty strong number there right around 220 where he consistently clears that in these types of games, assuming it's a close one again. And I think the Kansas City coverage scheme is also a factor here. Kansas City, as we've talked about in the past, they're a too high safety team at one of the highest rates in the league. However, they will adjust against very run-heavy teams like the Ravens and against mobile quarterbacks, also the Ravens. So that checks both their boxes. So I think they're going to shift away from their typical defense, one that they're most comfortable in, and play a lot of single high in an effort to stack the box and get more athletes closer to Lamar Jackson to spy on him. And we saw this happen. Um, we've seen this happen a few times this year. Three of their four highest rates of uh, cover one, which is a preferred um, single high coverage formation. Three of their four highest rates of cover one were against Justin Fields, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, three of the most athletic quarterbacks they face this year. And with Justin Fields, their single high coverage rate was up at 55%. They said they flipped their coverage on its head. They're usually at 55 to 60% too high against the Bears, a run-heavy team with an athletic quarterback like the Ravens. They were trying to stack the box and get athletes into the box as much as possible. So how does this help Jackson? Kansas City is not very good in cover one. They allow 7.4 yards per attempt when they're in their cover one defense, 5.1 yards per attempt in all other coverage schemes. So Baltimore's scheme basically forces them into their worst defense. Now Lamar Jackson against cover one, 9.6 yards per attempt, that ranks fourth in the league against all other coverage schemes. 7.6 yards per attempt. That ranks 10th in the league. So he's effective everywhere, but he's been particularly good against these cover one defenses. So I think this just set, shapes up to be a really bad matchup for the Kansas City defense. And even if the Ravens are playing with a lead and it suppresses the pass volume a little bit, the potential is there for some big plays because Kansas City has just struggled in this defense that we should anticipate them playing. You know, it's interesting because you know, you've gone a couple weeks in a row talking about the Chiefs' bad run defense. So when I saw, you know, I quickly looked at your props and I saw Lamar Jackson, and I just assumed it was the run over. Like, I didn't look at the actual prop. But now that you've laid it out, it does make a ton of sense. And that's why Ryan is a, a goat, you know, in, in this kind of stuff. Um, really, really great breakdown on that, Ryan. I, I, I like it a lot. And I, I still think Lamar will run, uh, because what we've seen, um, it, you know, is these running quarterbacks who, as they get older, they save them during the season, but in the playoffs running is, is on the table. So, um, th that helped me a lot as we talk about, the DFS portion of this. So Adam, ownership is pretty spread out with all four of the quarterbacks kind of between 20 to 30% ownership. Are you, you know, let's, let's take kind of a bigger view first. Are, you know, you've talked about taking one guy and going all in on him or two guys, mm -hmm. you know, like 70, 30, but that's yeah. on a bigger slate yeah. on a slate like that is your general strategy to go one quarterback or the 70 30 i i doubt highly you're looking to play all four of these guys 
No, absolutely not. I personally would only play 100% of one quarterback that I've already decided on, but I you could make the argument to all to play both quarterbacks in the San Francisco and Detroit game as the total is 51. Not only is the total 51, but it's six and a half points higher than the other game. Uh, and I think that other game is actually a candidate to go under. So um, it Vegas kind of made that decision for us, but um, you could potentially go 70-30 in that game. I would stick with just one on a two-game slate. Yeah, and another way, and this goes for a variety of things. This is something that I started doing that I didn't do in the regular season, is if there's two guys I want to play, and let's say I'm, pl- I'm maxing the $3 and the $1, and I also max the 50 center. Right, because I like I like messing around with the optimizer and mm-hmm. and and keeping it in a budget. What I've started doing is like, let's say I want to, you know, I don't know if I want a hundred percent or zero of McCaffrey. What I'll do is I'll pick one contest to go all in on, and another contest to be all out on, and that way, you know, you're gaining as much leverage while still having a balanced portfolio. Uh, your thoughts on that strategy? I think that's totally fine. It depends on um, your comfort level with with risk and what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're trying to not have a bad time, I absolutely recommend doing that and do not go 100% on anybody. Um, but the narrower your player pool is, the more likely you are to win if it hits because the worst feeling ever is when you were right about five of your plays but your player pool was so watered down that you didn't get the right five plays into the same lineup. So you really need to take guys that you feel really good about and just work on building around them. Like if it's a two game slate, I don't mind if you lock four players and then just try to build around the rest, because even if you nail those four players that you locked, you still needed to get the ancillary pieces, right? And it might come down to your, uh, Justice Hill in the flex, for example, uh, if you if you binked or not. Last week's a perfect example. What kept me out of first place um, was Miko Hardman. Miko Hardman, I, I had the same lineup as first place, except for I had Miko Hardman, and I forget which ancillary player that they had. It'll come back. Oh, Deontay Hardy. So it was Miko Hardman versus Deontay Hardy. I had so many Chiefs five-by-ones, but all of mine included Miko and I needed a four by two with Deontay Hardy. So that's my point. If you can just narrow down the players that you really care about, yeah, you might you might be all all in the white by the end of the night, but you could also really nail that that top spot. And and you know, I, I need to call you like every Sunday morning or Saturday <laughs> night and have you repeat that to me because the, the year that I won 20 grand. Um, and I almost every week I was getting a good, you know, a good sweat was mm-hmm. years that I was had four or five guys who were between 60 and 80 percent. And the, and, you know, some weeks were ugly. But on the week when you, you know, had a, a, a lot of lineups and, you know, you're right, there's nothing more frustrating than being on five guys and then going through seeing them go off, checking and, and, and not having any of them all on all the same team. Um, so, and, and, and the other thing you mentioned reminds me of the time I almost won a showdown slate. And it was when Kenyon Drake got traded to the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And I put him in the captain spot. And he went absolutely nuclear. 
and I forget what I think I had Andy Isabella. No, I I had another uh, uh, Cardinal wide receiver who caught a touchdown, and I was like looking like I could win. And then I think Andy Isabella caught like his only long touchdown of his career. And he outscored my guy by like six points. And I came in tied for fourth instead of tied for first with only two other guys. Um, So, yeah, I I, I love that. Absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to guess your 100% guy is Brock Purdy. Yeah. Because my first thought when I thought about the slate was to go 100% Brock Purdy. Um, especially with a narrower distribution pool. Um, And then, you know, uh, and, you know, right now he's showing at 30%. Do you think how just awful he looked last week? I Mm -hmm. I mean, he looked awful up until that last drive. Do you think that will keep his ownership down or do you think people will, I mean, do you think he's going to be the most owned quarterback on the slate just simply because um, the, the the point total is higher? He might technically be, but with Mahomes and Jackson both on the same slate as him, um, their name value alone makes them 25% guys. So I would say maybe you get 33 for Purdy, but you also probably get – a good 25 for Jackson, 25 for Mahomes, and then the rest goes to golf. And most of the people playing golf are going to be people who um, wish that they could – not wish that they could bring themselves to play Purdy. It is a viable option to to try to leverage Purdy um, in the same price range. But it's people who are trying to be contrarian because you need to be contrarian, not because um, golf is a better option than Purdy. So uh, Purdy's justified at about 33%. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Goff on the road, I mean, it's it's not a make-believe thing. You know, he just doesn't play as well on the road. Yeah, now, and it's great it, defense, too. What's that? And it's a it's great defense, defense, too, yeah. yeah. Um, although it's a great defense. I saw someone make a post last week about how the, the teams that have beaten San Francisco – are the ones that can handle the pass rush. And the Lions are one of the better offensive lines in yeah, the league. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I still not – I'm not going to put – I'm not going to play golf. I, I'm just not. Yeah. And, and I could see this game getting away from the Lions. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of times when I do this, I force at least two uh, of the opposition – in a majority, you know, in way more than I normally would have more guys in that game. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that this week. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think one of the reasons I like Birdie is because there's a lot of bringbacks for Detroit. You have a lot of options that aren't going to be super popular. Um, we'll talk about them when we get to the other positions. But I, I see what you're saying. Um, the only problem is, though, with the total, with there being such a disparity in the two totals, um, there's going to have to come scoring from somebody in the slate. And since both running backs are viable, I love to come back with a running back. Um, if I'm not going to play the quarterback, then I'd like to play the running back because he has the best chance of being negatively correlated to the quarterback. Jameer Gibbs has only caught one touchdown pass, even though he's active in the passing game. Uh, so I do like being able to pick from one of the um, lines 
and then also on a Lions backs and then also on a two game slate. I don't mind making a rule to make sure that you have two run backs, especially if you're betting on the total like I am um, it, betting on the Kansas City Baltimore game going under and then this game hitting 51. Then you probably want to make sure you have at least uh, what is that six players from this game because you want to stack probably triple stack Purdy play two Detroit players. So five or no six. Yeah. Uh, so that's a lot, right? So you want to make sure that you get a lot of players from that game because you're betting that game hits the over. All right. So the only other quarterback that I'm really considering going 100% on is Lamar. Mm-hmm. And listening to Ryan kind of, you know, helped me there because if he's going to throw for 300 and he runs for 60, um, and you know, and that game certainly has the potential to 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 catch the other game. Um, that's my that's my thought. Is is Lamar would be the other guy that that, that is the other guy that I'm considering going all in on. That I'm over here laughing because it, it, I had the same thought, but that's because I'm in the Baltimore area and Lamar Jackson's my favorite player. So it was very difficult, trust me, to not just say. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go. That can go against you. But when you're a fan, sometimes like I overcompensate for the Giants, yeah. right? Because I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. If anything, I've erred on the side of being too negative on Giants. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful with that, too. Well, mine has come with overconfidence in Lamar's. Um, not his passing ability because pretty much everybody agrees now finally that he's an incredible passer. It's his target distribution is just so unpredictable. And what I always try to do is overcompensate on the narrative that Lamar Jackson is not a productive pocket passer. So I always lock in three receivers with them. Usually it's like a tight end. Usually it's like a tight end and then Nelson Aguilar. And then you have to pick between OBJ, Zay Flowers, and Rashad Bateman. That's usually what I go with. And I'm way overweight on Aguilar pretty much every time he scores a touchdown. So that's awesome. But what happens is Lamar never really brings three receivers with him. I always try to differentiate by stacking him with three receivers. So that's really my soft spot is that I don't really know how to get different without stacking him with three three receivers, but I know he's probably not going to get there with three receivers. So that's my crutch. Every Ravens slate is an interesting way to do it would be just Lamar and Aguilar. And, you know, if Aguilar actually scores two touchdowns and no one else gets close, yeah. um, you know, and I I mentioned in chat uh, one week about uh, about Aguilar that you know I thought he might be the answer. I mean, he really is an underrated guy, and one of the few guys who probably, even though he's done well, won't have any ownership. But um, let's yeah, get over, let's get over to wide receiver next. Uh, Ryan, anything on quarterbacks? No, I mean, nothing to add to the quarterback conversation. You guys covered it, and you know where I stand with Lamar expecting a good game out of him. Awesome. So um, speaking of 100% Brandon Ayuk, as we head over to the wide receiver position, we have two props from Ryan, and the first one is the said Mr. Ayuk. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk, I'm going to take the over on his receiving yards. Right now it's available at 80 and a half. I think there's probably a spot where you want to wait to place that prop. 
um, because maybe it falls a little bit if we get word that Debo is active. Um, I am sort of, like I said, I'm approaching the for, this 49ers game as if whether Debo is active or not, he's going to have a reduced volume. And so I'm factoring that into my logic here. Um, but I, I think the fact that he's active is going to uh, force some people to adjust their thinking on these lines, and so, which might drive the uh, might might drive the number down here a little bit to you know 77 or 75 or something. So wait to bet this prop. But regardless of what happens with Debo, I'm on the over here, and it's we're, we're sort of following the similar train of thought with McCaffrey that we talked about, but just going in reverse. Like we talked about with McCaffrey, Lions are a single high coverage team. And teams like to play single high coverage at elevated rates against the 49ers. So we're expecting a very high rate of single high coverage. So we got to look at what do the 49ers do? Well, against single high coverage, it's much greater odds. You've got a one-on-one matchup out there somewhere. And when it's Ayuk, when they think they've got that one-on-one matchup out there, so if someone's on an island against him, that's like an automatic check in their offense. They're going to go to him. And they're going to attack downfield, which is why I'm on the yardage prop in particular, because we have the potential to have a 40-yard play or something like that out of him, which allows us to hit the over on, re- on a receiving yards prop when you know maybe maybe surprisingly he only gets three catches or something like that. So that's why I'm leaning towards the re- receiving yards. But the same logic applies if you wanted to bet the receptions as well. I think that's justified. So based on the fact that we think Debo is not going to play or limited, we know we're seeing single high coverage. We look at Ayuk's target share. On the season, it's 25% against single high, 19 percent against too high so already a pretty big difference there overall but with Debo is not on the field he sees a 22 percent target share against too high basically the same as that 19 percent but 37 percent against single high he gets a huge jump because Debo actually does see a decent although he's not regularly used downfield they will sometimes if they can get a one-on-one matchup use him to stretch the field so you take that out of the equation and Ayuk is getting all of those opportunities now so this one is pretty straightforward to me we it's a great matchup regardless because of the fact that we're seeing a, a lot of single high coverage in this game and if Debo is out of the game it, it almost becomes too easy I love the prop in that case he is my favorite um it wouldn't be an episode with you guys if I didn't do that once <laughs> um so I I think Ayuk's my favorite play in the slate the Lions have been very susceptible you know, if you go 100% Ayuk and you go 30% McCaffrey, uh, 100% uh, Purdy, um, I, I think you have leveraged the field pretty effectively while taking advantage of, um, you know, maybe 90% Ayuk. Um, you know, and 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 so I, I I really you know that that's very tempting to me um, because McCaffrey. There, there will be plenty of people who have that threesome, but not to that level, I don't think. Um, but- I, I should also mention, too, I forgot to mention this, but we had basically this exact same conversation last week about Mike Evans and yep. how the Buccaneers were going to attack that defense. And look what happened there. Yeah. Yep. And, and and I, you know, I ended up around 40, 45 percent Mike Evans, which is not bad. Actually, I was closer to 50. But again, he was my favorite play on the slate. You know, a couple years ago, especially on a short slate, I would have been eighty or ninety percent, and I just—it's like, it's like my crack. I just have been, you know, since I started using the optimizer, it's you know, and you got to get over that fear of missing out, that FOMO. Um, it is, it is, it's brutal. All right, so and it's really bad when you get it right, and you still lose money because yeah. 
you, you just pissed it all away. Yeah. Um, all right. So you do have another prop for us, and yeah. it is the former best wide receiver in football, who is a shell of his former self, who everyone was talking about as the hot guy because they saved him for the playoffs last week. And then he ran less routes than he had all year. But you have him as a prop over on Odell Beckham. I am fascinated because I know you've got good reasoning. Yeah, Odell Beckham over on his receiving yards, which is available at just 20 and a half. And the performance last week is obviously a factor here because it keeps that line really low, which is great for us. As I mentioned earlier, the Chiefs are likely to lean on cover one at a really high rate in this game, despite the fact that they're usually a too high cover team. They obviously, they want to adjust. I mentioned how we saw them at a 39% rate of cover one against Justin Fields, obviously the most similar uh, quarterback they've played in terms of overall skill set to Lamar Jackson. So we've got good reason to think we're going to see a lot of cover one in this game, which was a factor in our Lamar Jackson prop. In this case, when they're in cover one, Odell Beckham has seen a consistent boost in his usage all year. He's actually their second most targeted receiver. And, you know, it makes sense, sort of like the Brandon Ayuk conversation that we just had. He's the type of receiver that, you know, even at this stage of his career, he's a good option in one-on-one -on -one situations. And they try to take advantage of that. If they think it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup for Odell, they're going to take some shots deep. He sees a 17% target share against cover one. And 35% of those targets are 20 or more yards downfield. Because of that, his yards per reception against cover one, 24.4 yards. So we're going to see cover one at a higher rate in this game, probably about a third to a, a third of the time, roughly, maybe even a little bit higher than that. That means probably multiple opportunities for Odell Buckham to get down the field, multiple targets down the field. He's just got to catch one, and we hit the over on his total receiving yards prop. Now, obviously, you could use the exact same logic and bet the over on his longest reception. That's completely justified. I, If you're choosing between the two, I prefer the longest, the, the overall receiving yards because that line is so low. Like I said, 20 and a half yards. You could easily do that in one catch. But you also leave yourself open to the possibility that he has three catches for 25 yards. He, he's had stat lines like that yep. this season as well. So you give, even though it's not what we're expecting the game to play out as it's on the table at least. And so you give yourself another way to win the prop by playing the receiving yards rather than just playing that longest reception, although playing both to totally justified. All right. I like it. And um, Adam, we have four or five players in the 40 to 50% range. You mentioned how ARSB, Amon Ross St. Brown, is the only real high price guy. The other chalky guys are Jamison Williams and Josh Reynolds of the Lions. So it's really interesting. Three chalky Lions on the road. Rashi Rice of the Chiefs, who is banged up. And then slightly under that is Brandon Ayuk. Um, I'm curious of that list, um, anybody jump out as incorrect for you and anyone that you just say, that's a 100% guy for me? Well, I think Brandon Ayuk's ownership right now is Fugues because we don't know what um, Deepa Samuel's going to do, and that's going to matter a lot. I will say anybody who has made the commitment that I have to play 100% Brock Purdy, go to your optimizer, lock Brock Purdy, do nothing else 
Tell it to build you 20 lineups and see if you find a single one that does not have Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey. So if you think you're going to get your leverage on your main stack, good luck. You're not going to have it unless you're going 100% on Jawan Jennings. Um, but I will say we have our first callback of the show since I started one here. If you recall, um, nailed it with Dak Prescott, but I elected to lock C.D. Lamb. And I would have made a lot of money if I played almost anybody but C.D. Lamb in some of those stacks. So I think if if Debo Samuel does play, I am more comfortable locking Brandon Ayuk and playing zero Debo Samuel. Um, and of course, Debo Samuel could score a short touchdown or something like that. But that would be the only way I feel like I'd be okay with that leverage, um, having a, a teeny bit of leverage. If Debo Samuel sits... It's really hard to lock Brandon Ayuk, especially since that allows more opportunity for someone like Jawan Jennings. So if Debo Samuel sits, I'll probably be like 70% on Brandon Ayuk and then make sure that I'm sprinkling in a bunch of like Ronnie Bell and Jawan Jennings and hoping that I can break up I was just going to ask you about that. Ronnie Bell. Yeah, to, to try that to break up. Because <laughs> uh, I think you and I both like him. Yeah, he was fine. I mean, he didn't up up until that show that we did. He'd never panned out for me, but he was always in a bunch of my lineups. And then I think he did catch a few catches in that show that we did. The Ravens and the Chiefs wide receivers are are lower owned, but for good reason. In a two games other than Rashi Rice, other in a two game slate, anyone from that group? Uh, we've talked about Aguilar a little bit. Um, is there anyone we missed and is there anyone that you're just not interested at ownership? I think that the only person that stands out a little bit is Zay Flowers. And I know I've been let down by Zay Flowers so many times this year. Not that he hasn't been productive. He's just never been productive enough. I think the only 20 point game where he actually worked at captain for me, he caught a touchdown. And I think it was in London. Um, other than that, he's good for six catches, 70 yards, something like that. So when you're playing showdown, it's really hard to get them in the captain spot and ever actually get a captain performance for him. But when you're playing on the two game slate, it almost, you're almost playing to just, um, it's like you're kind of playing bingo. You just need to hit every spot, right? You almost just want 10 points or more at every spot, except for, of course, like your quarterback and maybe your running back one. Um, so when you're doing that and you have a guy like Zay Jones, it's like, hey, I can, I'll probably get 13 and I might get 20 out of them. Um, and, and there's not looking to be a lot of uh, a lot of run on him. Yeah, somebody like Zay Jones really does stand out for me, especially if Lamar Jackson's going to have uh, a really good passing performance. I don't think it's going to come because of um, because of Mark Andrews. I think it'll probably be because of Zay, Zay Flowers. Sorry, not Zay Jones. <laughs> yeah, um, who is a, a free agent, Zay Jones. So... Um, already transitioning to best ball. All right. So um, are there any off the board? You know, wide receiver is typically the place where you find that off the board. Is Aguilar your main off the board guy or is there someone else? Yeah, with Odell Beckham's um, uh, route participation going down a little bit, I think that it's probably due to Nelson Aguilar overperforming. And he actually has overperformed uh, much of the season relative to expectations. It hasn't looked like a lot, but when you're the third wide receiver for the Ravens, now I guess that does mean a little bit different this year than in years past, but still when you're a third wide receiver for the Ravens, um, your bar set pretty low and he has overperformed. So I do think that that was indicative of Aguilar and not so much indicative of how Odell Beckham's performed. So I, I probably am going to go there. So um, 
we we uh, I'm going off the board a little bit here. I just kind of had this thought. So uh, Warren Sharp tweeted this week about the referee for this game and how he is a big away referee. And, you know, a lot of people on Twitter took that as us saying that Taylor Swift was the reason that Roger Goodell wants um, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Um, I wouldn't put it past him personally. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think we've had enough conspiracy theories. But, I mean, does that make either one of you want to just say, hey, you know what? If Mahomes is going to be, you know, lower owned and his receivers are going to be lower owned, Ryan, any thoughts on do you buy into the narrative that uh, the NFL wants the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? I mean, I. Who knows? Maybe it's a factor in how they place the ref, but even though the refs are always a factor in the game, they're not, they, they don't have the ultimate control over the game still. And so the Ravens, if they come out, but they, they do control, have the script. <laughs> yes. If they can come out and they're able to control the ball on the ground, then they're probably going to win this game. It's probably going to be a low scoring game, right? Regardless of the refs. And, you know, if they, or maybe it's just a low scoring game and, you know, one or two penalties go the Chiefs way and the Chiefs end up winning 21 17 or something like that. But I don't think that the, the refs have any control over the fact that the Ravens might be able to dominate this game on the ground, might be able to get a couple big pass plays through the air as the Chiefs are playing more man coverage, like we talked about. And so, yeah, if it's really close, the refs are going to make a difference, but it has to be close first. And they, the refs don't control that. Um, Adam, any thoughts on this, uh, the latest scandal that is brewing on Twitter? Well, actually, I do have, no, not on the latest scandal that's brewing, but I do have a conspiracy theory if we're going to go with that. I actually like Miko Hardman a lot. And uh, on the latest New Heights podcast, Travis Kelsey took full responsibility for Miko Hardman. Uh, forget about the fact that Miko Hardman has made a billion boneheaded plays exactly like that one, this one apparently was in fact not his fault. Travis Kelsey said that he did not hold his block and he is very sorry for Miko Hardman. Um, if you saw in the game what happened because you were sweating him very nervously like I was, Rasheed Rice got hurt and Miko Hardman was um, the direct representative. I knew that meant that it was going to be a trick play to Miko Hardman because earlier in the game when Miko Hardman came in, they ran a fake jet sweep with Miko Hardman. So that told me when he came in the game next time in the uh, you know within the five-yard line, he's probably going to get the ball. Sure enough, he did get the ball. If he scored a touchdown, I'm making a trillion dollars, whatever it was going to be. He didn't, but I do think that in this game, they're going to be comfortable going back to him and not giving him the doghouse treatment. If I had a soundboard, when you mentioned the name Miko Hardman, you would have gotten a car crash sound bite. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, alas, I do not. And we move on to tight end. Um George Kittle is almost 50% owned. The normal rule, Adam, for Kittle is you fade him at high ownership and play and, and you hit and you smash at low ownership. But with Debo either out or limited, 50% um, ownership, um, your thoughts on him on a two-game slate at that kind of ownership? 
That's pretty fair. You're almost not going to have a um, you're not going to have a chance if you're playing if you're playing uh, Brock Purdy like we talked about a moment ago. You, it it doesn't really matter. The only thing you could do is um, lock them all in. I mean, I I legitimately might lock Brock Purdy, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Christian McCaffrey, um, and then I'll create like some rules for the Lions bringbacks and, and such, but. Yeah, 50% might be 50% too low. So I actually don't think that's crazy high for this league. All right. Um, Mark Andrews, back from injury. Um, right now he's showing low ownership. Uh, do you think that sub-10% ownership will hold? Um, are you intrigued by playing him at that ownership? And would you consider playing him and Isaiah likely in the same lineup? I don't think you have enough there to to play them both. I was actually going to ask Ryan and go off a of script a little bit. Do you think that they're going to run more two tight end sets than they'd be comfortable with just because of the fact that Isaiah likely earned the earned the right to stay on the field? I think All it's right. plausible, especially if the game script breaks, that they can be relatively run heavy if it's close or they're playing with a lead throughout. It's certainly plausible. And, you know, I'd mentioned last week how I kind of liked Isaiah likely despite um, thinking that, Andrews might play. And I, I really feel the same way again because his performance last week, you know, that only increases their confidence in them, right? Like he, he's, on yeah. a nice, he's on a nice streak here. They're starting to feel really comfortable with him. Well, the reason I ask is because Isaiah likely is definitely more talented than actually probably any option outside of Zay Flowers. Um, and he's going to be relegated to a backup role. That seems quite unfortunate for the Ravens. Uh, so, I don't know that they what I'm worried about though is that they've found so much like success with such a different identity with Todd Bunkin. Do you want to change that going into the AFC championship? That's what I'm worried about. If you're just gonna get all of your players on the field and Todd Munkin's an excellent offensive coordinator, then maybe you find a way to get Isaiah likely on the field. But if you've been doing so well, I think it probably makes more sense to actually just have us a, a higher snap share for Isaiah likely and then bring Mark Andrews in in more of a package role. If if we all think back a little bit, um, when Mark Andrews started ascending as one of the league's best tight end, he was doing it on a 40% snap share. So it's not uncommon for him to play less than 50% of the snaps. Um, with that being said, you, you're, you're really throwing darts. It's hard to know what they're going to do with them. But um, it, it really might be a nice spot to get 60% of the snaps for Isaiah Likely and have 15% ownership, probably 10% ownership on them. Yeah, yeah, I just looked I, up some numbers real hold, quick. Hold on, hold on one second, Ryan. I, I just want to say that, um, you know, I, I, I agree. I could, you know, we've seen this again. Guys come back from real serious injuries early, and they don't they play, but they don't play nearly what you think they might play. I the more we've talked about this, the more I, I mean, I'll, you don't have to twist my arm hard to play Isaiah likely. Right. Um, so, Ryan, I, I interrupted you. Um, I want to hear your, your what you were going to say. And I also meant to ask you when we were talking George Kittle, uh, your thoughts on Mr. Kittle. So why don't you handle both of those? Yeah, I just looked at those stats real quick. Obviously, two tight end formations has never been a staple of Munkin's offense. Um, but they did use it occasionally this year. It looks like they had 71 dropbacks in, with, in two tight end formations. And Lamar Jackson was very good. 73% completion rate, 
yards per attempt, and 30% of their attempts were 10 or more yards downfield, which is pretty much in line with his season averages. So they definitely have some stuff in the playbook to do that. So if in this matchup you wanted to shift to more of that, I, I think that would certainly make sense since we know that they have confidence and likely. And it's also not uncommon for teams to lean a little bit more heavy in one unexpected area of the playbook in these in playoff games. It happens all the time in championship games and Super Bowls where teams will just do something different just to be different in the biggest game of the year and try to catch you off guard in an area where they feel confident in, but they know you haven't prepared for fully either. So yeah, to sprinkle him into some lineups a little bit more than you might otherwise expect, knowing that that's a possibility, I, that seems reasonable. All right. Um, let's uh, hit quickly on two other very talented tight ends um, Adam, um, mm -hmm. that are out there in Travis Kelsey and uh, Laporta of Detroit. Um, sure. They're all, they're both going to have ownership, but um, I mean, to me, if Kittle's 50, that's another reason that I'm less likely, I'm less Isaiah likely to go 100 on Brock Purdy. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on those two and, and, and then, Ryan, if you have a thought on the matchup for either one of them, um, if one of them has a better matchup. Yeah, so I like Sam Laporta in the flex a lot. Uh, 5,400 is not super cheap for a tight end. So getting him in the flex will give you a little bit of leverage for your 49er stacks. That's something I'd be interested in doing is like running one of the 49er running backs back and then putting Sam Laporta in the flex. I'm interested in that. But also Travis Kelsey's price when he hasn't really warranted that price is um, – a pretty nice way to gain some leverage too with with George Kittle being a far better projection at 1300 less and significantly more owned uh it's a good spot for Travis Kelsey especially since Rashid Rice Rashid Rice seems to be a little bit banged up and you don't really see good Kelsey games and good Rashid Rice games at the same time I know Kelsey games seem to have been few and far between recently and they're uh, the ascension of Rice kind of has gone alongside uh Travis Kelsey taking a step back but that's just more reason to say it's really hard. And that's why there's not a lot of ownership on Patrick Mahomes, right? Because he only has two receivers he can trust, and both of them don't perform well at the same time. Um, so all that to say Rasheed Rice is really high-owned, George Killer really high-owned, Well, Travis Kelsey is going to be leveraged off of both of them. Yeah, I uh, Ryan. Yeah, both of those guys are sort of tough to figure out. I didn't really talk at all about the Chiefs' offense, and part of the reason for that is – the Ravens defense is just so versatile. It's tough to find a trend. It's tough to anticipate what they want to do. They're sort of, in terms of like the coverage scheme, they're basically 50 50, two high, single high, and they can swing wildly from game to game. You know, same thing with their fronts. They're multiple front defense. If they want to stack the box, they can do it. If they want to play the light box, they can do it. So it's just, it's tough to make predictions. And so if they come into this game is just with the game plan of we're taking away Kelsey, they can do it because they've lined up in those formations that will make it harder to get uh, him the ball. It, you know, if they take a different approach, they could do that too. So maybe Kelsey has a huge game. It's just, I don't like playing against the Ravens defense, not just because it's good, but because it's hard to even pin down the trend. And with Laporta, it's just, it's a factor of the line. I mean, this is the best defense he's played in a few weeks. It's going to be tough for him. I mean, it's just, it's a big step up in competition in terms of what the what he's facing in coverage in the middle of the field against the 49ers. So that's a tough matchup. Also, I, I forgot to mention, Kittle, you asked me about him before, and I I did have wanted to just quickly share some numbers because we talked about it with the other 
49ers pass catchers, how the Debo injury potentially affects him. I, I didn't want to go down this prop, but I do think there is some evidence that Kittle benefits from Debo being out. He sees a 22% target share overall against single high coverage, and it's 28% without Debo. So he gets a boost. I didn't take this prop, though. But because, it's not as big of a boost yeah, as I think the field thinks it is. Exactly. It's a boost, but everyone is expecting a boost and the props are reflecting a boost. And so like, I feel like the reaction to it is sort of in line with what it like. It, it matches up like the line is appropriate. The expectation you're seeing in the DFS roster share going up, like it's, it's already being reflected. So I, I, I can't really come down or on one side or the other with him, but I did just want to share those numbers since we've talked about all the other Niners pass catchers. Awesome. All right. Last question for the show. It's going to, I'm going to throw it to our showdown expert. We normally don't cover defense, but on a two game slate, I was, I am very curious to your thoughts on how to play defense on a slate like this. Yeah, absolutely. Defense is the only one that I will just sprinkle in as my lineup fits. I don't put a lot of uh, attention to it. I don't pick the defense and then build the lineup. I pick lineups that I like and I We'll throw the defense in that fits afterwards. Just do not like really being overweight on a defense because I hate when that's the reason that I didn't bink because the rest of my lineup was fantastic and I missed on the defense. I think there's viability in all four defenses for very different reasons. So maybe not 25% of each. There are better ones than others, but I will kind of just build out my 20 lineups. I won't touch anything in the optimizer that tells my optimizer what to do with defense. And if I see 70% of one defense, I will clip that down a good bit. I'm, I'm not going to be over 50% on any of the defenses. All right. That is awesome information, guys. It has really been a tremendous pleasure for me to work with both of you during these three weeks. We will have a show next week. We're finalizing exactly what we're going to do. Probably get some early looks at props and um, and and early ownership, and then we'll come back the following week with um, a more detailed, especially with props, things early can change a lot. So I'm kind of excited about that opportunity. We really appreciate you joining us. Remember, get a 75% discount on our weekly NFL package. Use the pr promo code 75OFF at www.sharpfootballanalysis.com. And we will see you next week.